0: Let's pray. Our Lord, our God, you are so gracious to us, so merciful, so kind, so loving and so compassionate. Um, and as we look to you this morning, we are tremendously thankful uh, for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we are thankful for all that he has done for us, um, for the life of perfect obedience that he lived before you. And that we can come before you because he bled and died on the cross for us. Uh, He bled and died to take away our sins um, and to give us all his righteousness in their place that we might come into your presence. Uh, We are also thankful this morning for your word. Uh, We are thankful for the scriptures which guide us, um, which give us counsel and wisdom, um, and which show us how to live our lives in a way that brings you honor and glory and praise. Uh, So I pray that you would be with us all this morning. Um, Help us to Take heed of the things that you have set forth in your word. Let us see how they apply to us, um, and let us leave from this place with them impressed on our hearts, um, that we might live lives that bring honor and glory and praise to your name. Uh, for this is what we desire to see. Amen. All right. As many of you know, we have been going through a series in 1 John, and like a good steam train, we are not deviating from the track. Uh, Last week, Jeremy looked at the first three verses of chapter 3, and this week I'm going to be continuing on with that, and we're looking at verses 4 to 10. Now, you can turn there in your own Bible if you like. I have forgotten the clicker thing. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) You can turn there in your own Bible, but I'm going to be reading from the ESV, which I have put up on the screen uh, for you all. So this is 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So that's our text. And I must admit, I found it a rather tricky passage. It took me a long time to kind of stitch it all together and figure out what John is really driving at here. Um, but like a good tour guide, I'm hoping to provide you some shortcuts this morning to make it a little bit easier for you. Now that said, I'd like to begin with a consideration that kind of frames our discussion as we move forward. Namely, I'd like you to notice that this passage is largely descriptive rather than prescriptive. You see, John is telling us... And telling these early Christians something that is very important for them to know. Something that is very important for them to understand. You see, it would be easy for us to come away from this passage thinking, Wow, you know, sin is a really serious problem. And I need to do everything I can to avoid sinning. To keep myself from sinning. But that's not what John is driving at in these verses. See, what John is doing is he's actually establishing a contrast between two different groups of people. He's establishing a contrast between the children of God on the one hand and the children of the devil on the other hand. That's what these passages are all about. In fact, the only commandment that John gives comes in verse 7. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. You see, this is the focus of our passage. John's main concern is that his audience should clearly know the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. And he's concerned that no one should be able to deceive them about this. Now, of course, this shouldn't surprise us. If you think back to some of our previous discussion, you'll recall that John has been talking a lot about false teaching and false teachers. This was and still is one of the major threats that faces us as the church. And that's why John sees such value in being able to identify these two groups, the children of God and the children of the devil. So that was his focus, and that is still his focus in our text today. It's combating these false teachers, being able to clearly distinguish between them. That's why he says, little children, let no one deceive you. Now, moving on from this position, moving on from our framing consideration, I'd like to spend the rest of our time looking at this contrast. I'm going to ask two questions. Firstly, what is the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil? And then, secondly, I also want to ask, what causes this difference? And I think that's naturally where our text leads us. So, firstly, what is the difference? While John seems to have a lot to say about this point, he's actually making the same point repeatedly, and he says it many times and in many different ways. In essence, the difference is a matter of righteousness and sinfulness. Have a look at these following phrases. In verse 6, he writes, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. In verse 7, whoever practices righteousness is righteous. In verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. In verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. And then finally, in verse 10, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. You see, all of these verses are driving at one singular and basic truth. They are driving at the fact that the children of God practice righteousness, while the children of the devil, on the other hand, practice sinfulness. Now, those of us who have been in church are obviously familiar with these terms. We've heard them bandied around, and sometimes we even expect that everyone knows exactly what we mean by these terms. Um, Nevertheless, they are rather long and intimidating words. Uh, So we can be thankful that John actually unpacks them a little bit for us. Have a look at verse 4. John writes this Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know, this is a fascinating verse because it shows us what sin is. At its core, sin is lawlessness. It is a rejection of God's authority over us. You see, it's not merely us doing what we think is right and good and proper and avoiding those things that we happen to think are bad. It actually rests on what God has said. God's law, not ours. You see, the authority comes entirely from outside of ourselves. The authority belongs to God. Sinfulness is about rejecting or ignoring God's law and God's authority. You know, this should give us great caution when we look at the Scriptures and you think, you know, I know it says that over here, but you know, I think this interpretation, or I think this way of doing things would be a little bit better than what the Scriptures say you know, when we find ourselves practicing that kind of thinking, we should be very careful. We should be very cautious. It's a serious thing to forsake the law of God. And frankly, I don't really care how we try to justify it. We might say, well, you know, it's actually a disputed issue. And there's a lot of Christians that happen to hold this view, so surely it's not a big issue, right? A lot of Christians think that. So, I'm welcome to join them. You know, I hate to break it to you, but every single false doctrine and every single false teaching throughout the entire history of the church has had the support of many so-called Christians. And these so-called Christians have used the scriptures to try and support their positions. And in fact, that's exactly what the false teachers in John's day were doing. They were coming to these early Christians, and claiming to have additional knowledge, additional understanding of the scriptures, and saying, we know better than what you have been taught. They claim to be Christians while presenting false teaching. Additionally, you know, this is why I'm so alarmed by modern attitudes towards authority in general. You know, these verses clearly tell us that sin is lawlessness. Recently, I was having a conversation with a friend about this issue. And he was telling me about a leadership program that he had seen run for the students at school. Uh, During this program, the students were required to work together to overcome a challenge, an obstacle, or a problem. And as part of this process, one of the boys stepped forward into the middle of his circle of peers. You know, he obviously had something valuable to tell them valuable insight as to how they're going to overcome this challenge. And my friend uh, told me that at this point, the overseer of the exercise stepped forward and pointed out to the student, look where you are standing. Look how you've kind of taken the authority on yourself, how you're presenting yourself as being authoritative in this situation. In fact, a far better approach would be for you to just hang back, you know, remain part of the circle. Present yourself as an equal participant, as someone equally sharing their ideas in this situation. You know, modern people dislike the idea of authority and we dislike anyone who presents themselves as having authority. And this should be a cause for alarm. You know, we prefer to see our leaders as influencers as people who have influence, rather than people who have authority. And while it's certainly true that leaders should be able to influence people and move people, it's also true that they have authority. We don't like to think that anyone has the right to demand obedience from us as a right. And that's what it is, that's the very nature of authority. Sin is lawlessness. lawlessness is at the heart of what it means to be sinful. Rejection of authority is at the heart of what it means to be sinful. Now, of course, we know that the Scriptures refer primarily to God's authority, the laws that God has established over us. But the Bible also makes it very clear that God has established lesser authorities in our lives. And when we reject those authorities, we're actually rejecting the authority of God because He has established them. Now we could all argue about what the correct use of authority looks like, what does it mean to use authority, how should good use of authority look? But my concern is that modern people often reject authority simply because it is authority. We're not arguing so much that. You know, they could use their authority better and make better use of the authority. We're arguing simply because we don't like the authority at all. We would prefer it if no one had authority. We don't like anyone telling us what to do. Now, the reason I'm concerned about this is because our passage clearly connects sin and authority. Lawlessness is a matter of authority. In any case... If sinfulness is a rejection of God's law, then we see that righteousness must be about, God, about keeping God's law. And that's exactly what our text says. Have a look at verse 6. In this verse, John writes, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And then compare this with verse 24 further down the page. John writes, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. So put together, we see that the one who abides in Christ does not keep on sinning, but instead he keeps the commandments of God. Righteousness is about keeping the commandments of God. Now, if anyone was wondering, what exactly are these commandments? John does mention two things here. Have a look at verse 23. John writes, and this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us it's that simple do you want to practice righteousness then believe in Jesus Christ and love one another now when I read these things I was immediately reminded of the lawyer who came to challenge Jesus with a question Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40 have this account. It says, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law. And the prophets. See, righteousness at the base level is really quite simple. It's about loving God and loving your neighbor. Now, I'll leave it to you to ponder why John presents it a little bit differently than Jesus does in the Gospels. Because John presents it as believe in Jesus Christ and love one another, while Jesus says love God and love neighbor. I think there's an obvious connection Uh, but I'll leave you to consider that yourselves. To sum up then, I had asked what is the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil? In answer, the children of God respect his authority and keep his commandments by loving him, by believing in Jesus Christ and by loving one another. The children of the devil on the other hand reject the authority and the commandments of God and do whatever they please. That is the difference. Now, I'd like to move on to my final question. What causes this difference? What causes the children of God to be different from the children of the devil? Let's see what John says. Have a look at verse 5. He writes this you know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin now of course this verse is speaking about jesus christ and john is pointing out that the whole reason that jesus came was to take away sins you see this whole passage is not about what we should be doing how we should be acting how we should be behaving. It's actually about what Jesus Christ has already done. He is the one who takes away our sins. And this is not only talking about forgiveness. It's actually talking about the reason why Christians no longer practice sin in their lives. This is clear from the context. It is because Jesus has made an end of sin. That is what Jesus has done. And this is I'm sure you're all aware, is the gospel. This is the gospel message. Additionally, have a look at verses 8 and 9. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Because he has been born of God. So why do Christians not make a practice of sinning? Precisely because they have been born of God. And they have the seed of God abiding in them. And I take this to be a reference to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. That's what our passage means when it talks about the seed of God. You see, these verses teach us that the children will be like their parents. Those who are born of God will be righteous like God. Likewise, those who are born of the devil will be sinful like he is. As the saying goes, like father, like son. You see in this passage, John is not trying to convince his hearers that they must really try hard not to sin. That they must exert themselves, that they must work hard towards that end. In fact, what he's saying is something that God has already done in Jesus Christ. He came to take away our sins. He came that we might not continue to sin. All the emphasis is on what Christ has done. The emphasis is on what God has done and continues to do, not on what we do. Of course, the two are connected, but we need to keep things in the proper order. Well, if that's the case, you might... You might ask do christians still sin at all after all doesn't john say in verse 6 no one who abides in him keeps on sinning no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him can we not ask then do christians continue to sin at all what does john mean what are we to make of this verse what are we to make of this passage Well, we should recall that in chapter 1, John has already written this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So we must take this in account. Into account. John is clearly not saying that Christians have no sin whatsoever. Additionally, in chapter 5, John will also write this If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. You see, again, John clearly anticipates that we might see a brother. That is another Christian committing a sin. And in these cases, he says that we should pray, and God will give them life. We should try to protect them. That's what John is saying. Now, without getting into a full analysis of the issue, I think the best way to understand what John means by a sin not leading to death is a sin that doesn't involve an outright rejection of Jesus Christ. That is ultimately what John has been talking about in this letter. He's been talking about false teachers who reject Jesus Christ. And he's told us keeping the commandments of God involve believing in Jesus Christ and loving one another. So in the context of John, I think the sin that does not lead to death is a sin that does not involve rejecting Jesus Christ. In any case, this passage is very reminiscent to what Paul wrote in Galatians 6.1. Paul writes this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. You see, this verse also clearly talks about a brother who is caught in a transgression, another Christian who is caught in a transgression. And the idea here is that sin can actually lay hold of someone and take them captive. And I take this to be talking about things like addictions, for example. It's a sin that can grab onto someone and not let them go. And what Paul is saying in this passage is that we should help to restore them, that we should try to save them from that situation. But again, the point is, the Bible, and John particularly in his letter, does not expect that Christians are going to be without sin completely. Rather, John is suggesting that Christians take sin seriously. They are not simply content to keep on sinning as if it doesn't matter. In fact, if a Christian does keep on sinning and they just don't seem to care about it, that is a cause for alarm. If a Christian looks at the sin in his life and goes, oh, you know, that's okay, I'll just keep doing that, that should give us reason to doubt the genuineness of the confession. The fact of the matter is Christians hate sin because God hates sins. Christians strive for righteousness, long for righteousness, and that's what John is talking about. We are not willing to make a practice of sinning. So where does this all leave us? You know, I know I said at the beginning that the primary focus of, of this passage is not about telling us what we need to do, but rather helping us to discern between two different groups. Um, but I think it's only natural that many of us are running ourselves through the diagnostic. Uh, We're looking at these questions and uh, we're beginning to get a little hot under the collar. Uh, We're looking at this and thinking, well, you know, I practice sin on occasions. You know, I've got things in my life that I don't like, things that I'd rather be rid of but seem to take control of me at times. You know, where does this leave us? You know, perhaps you're struggling with various addictions. Perhaps you are taken captive by something like pornography. Perhaps you're taken captive by alcoholism or anger or any other thing. You know, all of us have these kind of things in our lives, and it's different for everyone. What are we to make of this? What are we to do? let me encourage you to take heart you see this passage is so far from telling us that we need to try harder as a christian to be rid of these sins we need to work to cut off these sins from us rather john is guaranteeing us that god himself in the person of jesus christ has made an end to our sins so we should be hopeful and we should be encouraged When we look at the statements of this passage, we shouldn't look at them as commands, but rather we should see them as promises. These are things that God is telling us He will do in our lives because of Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. For example, when we read in our passage, no one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. We should take this as a promise that when we abide in Christ, we will not keep on sinning when we read no one born of god makes a practice of sinning for god's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning we should take this to mean that when we place our trust in jesus christ when we look to him when we abide in him god will work powerfully in our lives so that we have the strength to overcome sin This is something that God does in our lives. This is something that God has promised to do. So my encouragement to all of you would be, again, abide in Jesus Christ, look to Jesus Christ, trust in Him. We all know that we don't have the strength in and of ourselves to overcome sin, but when we look to Christ, when we abide in Him, we find that He is able to overcome our sin for us, that He gives us the strength, He gives us new desires in our heart. He makes us a new creation, as we heard earlier this morning. The old has gone, the new has come. You're a new creation in him, a new creation with new desires, desires to do things that are good and pleasing in the sight of God. This is where our strength as Christians comes from. It comes from abiding in Christ, looking to Jesus Christ. He is the one who is able to overcome our sins, and that's what this passage tells us. No one born of God continues to sin. For God's seed abides in him. For God has come to make an end of sin. God is the one who overcomes the devil, who makes an end of his work. So that's the note I'd like to leave you on. Trust in Jesus Christ. Look to him. And you'll find that more and more your life comes to resemble his life. More and more you come to love righteousness and hate sinfulness. That is what it means to be a Christian. Look to Jesus Christ. Lord, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ. We are so thankful that he has come to make an end of sin, that he has come to destroy the works of the devil, and that in him we can be confident because he never fails. He is able to complete that which he has started. So grant, Lord, that we may look to him. Grant that we should trust in him, hope in him, and that we should love him all the more. Draw us nearer to him and unite us to Christ, that our lives should come to bring honor and glory and praise to you more and more, that our lives should come to reflect your glory, uh, that all might come to know you and see you, and come to know that Jesus Christ is your son and that you have appointed him head of all things. Lord, grant that yours should be the glory and that all eyes should behold it and that they should give honor and glory and praise to your name. This we pray in your holy name. Amen.